0: the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.
1: Welcome to MLB Extras, the Chicago White Sox edition. I am Allison Footer, and I'm here with my friend Scott Merkin. We are going to uh, talk a lot of White Sox baseball for the first time. I've never hosted a White Sox podcast. This is very exciting. Um, and Scott, we have some things to talk about. Oh my goodness! So. Uh, It's fun to see the White Sox in the Manny Machado sweepstakes. There was reportedly a seven-year deal offer made to him, Uh, maybe eight years. What can you tell us about that? And then we'll kind of dissect their chances of getting him.
2: Yeah, Allison, first of all, good to talk to you. Second of all, it was fun back around November and December. Now it's getting a little bit like, okay, pick a lane and and sign with a team at this point, right? I mean, I I understand these are generational talents. It is almost unheard of. Maybe you have to go back to A-Rod. To find a guy, two guys as accomplished as these guys are at 26, who are free agents. So as Rick Hahn said on one of his conference, the White Sox general manager, one of his conference calls, a few, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, that, you know, this is a different sort of negotiation in that sense. And the other sense, he said it's pretty much similar to other, you know, kind of elite free agents he's been on. You know, it was reported by Jeff Passan of ESPN, who's very good at what he does, that it was eight years that the Sox uh, were offering and were willing to do more. And then, my. Other, um, a number of other reporters found out from whatever sources there was from, you know, my source said it was seven years. And today, as we're taping this, it came out from Buster Olney and Bob Nightingale of ESPN and USA Today, respectively, that the Sox offer was in the neighborhood of $175 million. So here's what it tells me I, I, $175 million is not going to get it done, because you would think if it was that total that the Yankees, who everyone just assumes, and I think it's been talked about, are Machado's probably preferred choice overall would be in it at that level. Maybe maybe they wouldn't, maybe they're just not interested in Machado, but you would seem to think they would be. But in that sense, it might've been the offer. They're reporting might be one that has been passed up since then. But the weirdest thing is, I don't know what you think about this, Allison. is you have these two seminal talents and they're just, at least outwardly doesn't seem to be much of a big market for them, you know? And, and again, I don't think it's a shot against the Sox that Machado may not have them as his number one team because this is a rebuilding team. This is a team that, even if they add Machado, probably won't be a playoff team next year. Although the AL Central is not a very strong division, but certainly won't be, you know, a championship contender for a couple years when these this plethora of young talent starts materializing at the big league level. But it's amazing how more teams that are in it, and I get the whole, you know, breaking things down and looking for the guys who can play a bunch of different positions and that sort of thing. But it's amazing how more people aren't interested in these sort of these sort of players. It's it's kind of shocking to me.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with you that um, it's surprising. I think it's, I don't know if surprising is the word, but the fact that there's really only a couple of, you know, a handful of teams, a handful, that have ever been in on this, that it's really not been open season for these guys. Um, and there's some things that are working against them. They want 10-year deals, which teams are just not going to to offer anymore. Um, it's a little bit of a different situation now because Machado and Harper are only 26. So if you commit 10 years, they're only 36 when it's right, over and right. Opposed to like Albert Pujols, who's going to be 42 when his, you know, abomination of a contract is over. <laughs> um, I guess my question for you is also from a, in terms of the White Sox being in this, you know, these, I don't want to say lesser teams, but the teams that don't have the funding as some of the, you know, huge market teams, they feel like they're sort of being used where they they express interest, they make offers, and they're really just pawns to up the figures from some of the big market teams. I mean, do you feel like the White Sox might get kind of caught in that too? Well, you know,
2: you would think that that could be a possibility, certainly. But in the other sense, I mean, really the only teams that have been talked about for both players are the Phillies and the White Sox, right? So, I mean, you would get that sense, unless there's a team quietly in the background that, you know, has some sort of deal where you can go, you know, like the Yankees at the Chata, that when you're done, come see us and we'll see where we stand but I would say maybe that could be the case if there were four or five teams in this. But there really are two teams that have been talked about in terms of the White Sox and the Phillies. And the thing is, the Sox targeted this offseason. You know, this is, they, Rick Hahn has talked and Kenny Williams, the executive vice president, both have talked a number of times about how when the finishing time came for the rebuild, they were gonna have to go outside in the market, go to free agency, maybe trades. And they've done a little bit of both so far, and the money would be there to spend. Well, these are not finishing moves. As great as Harper is and as great as Machado is, this is not going to finish the rebuild. But they can't wait until it's that time to suddenly go in the market. So they're being opportunistic now. And their payroll is pretty much, you know, very. it's like an $81 million right now with all the moves they've made. But for the coming years, it's, you know, pretty open where they can take this kind of salary. And so, I mean, I don't think they're being used in that sense because of the fact that they do have the money to offer and you know they want to be players in this this is not this is not kind of wading into the pool and see if you know something comes back they're diving right in on this so yeah i guess it's a small possibility in there but there aren't many teams to be used against right now so it's it's kind of that's why the Sox are not certainly whatever their offer is they're not going to negotiate against themselves in this whole situation
1: yeah it kind of reminds me a little bit of when the nationals were pursuing jason worth and maybe he is the poster boy you know, a team that is terrible and goes out and spends a lot of money on a free agent. Um, and and they basically told Worth, like, we're absolutely going to be in the mix for postseason contention in two more years. And we are going to be there for a while. And you're the guy that we want there when we're good. Uh, and that kind of that would be a good selling point for the White Sox. Um, but yeah, if, it, if, this, if this offers one hundred and seventy five million, they're almost asking the Yankees to come in and offer it's $210 million, right? I mean, it's just these are numbers that are, you know, way lower and that a bigger team could come in and sweep in and and make that bid. So I, I'm a little confused about it. <laughs> and assuming, you know, it's assuming that, uh, we
2: I really haven't heard much exactly on the money. I know Hector Gomez, who's a really good reporter out of the Dominican Republic. I believe he was the first one who had information on Wellington Castillo's uh, suspension last year. He mentioned that the Sox offered 250. Now that would that would still be below what you know I know Dan Lozano and Manny Machado or just the public thought going into this whole process, but it would be a little more commensurate with what you figured he'd get out of this. But yeah, 175 million if they get him for that eventually, that's a gigantic bargain because Machado's a tremendous player. And so then it goes to the fact of you know let's say it's 175 million with just hypothetically or even 210 million with opt outs. So then do you want the security of that? Seven or eight million, a seven or eight year deal. I'm sorry. Or do you then go to a team that you know isn't going to contend and maybe just like a three year high an, you know, average annual value deal and then go back into free agency at 29? And you're still not very old at 29. God, I wish I was 29 again. And uh, you're, not, you're not old at all at that. You know, the only thing you risk is injury. But, you know, I've had people tell me that people know what Harper and Machado are about. So it would have to be almost, God forbid, a severe career-ending injury to change the market on them, really. So that's another option they can go to. I think most people believe that neither of these guys are going to leave money on the table, assuming it's there. So I doubt that's an option. But if it ends up being way lower than what they thought, do they start engaging other teams for, you know, that they know they can go and win on for two and three deals? You know, Machado played in the World Series last year. So maybe he's not all for, like you said, being the Jason Wirth guy. And Dealing with losing for two years and then hoping everything comes together or maybe even a year and a half or whatever. And then hoping everything comes together at that point. We'll see, I guess.
1: Yeah. Well, moving to the uh, players who actually are on the roster right now, uh, we're going to we're going to kind of examine a a player that we think will be a contributor in 2019. We're going to do this regularly leading up to spring training. We want to talk about Lucas Giolito uh, member of the starting rotation, he uh, you know I covered, of course, a, a lot of White Sox spring training last year, and I remember being uh, very impressed by the talent that the White Sox had accumulated um, through their rebuild, and really thinking, you know, they are onto something with this pitching staff, um, these future pitchers, and I I looked at Lucas Giolito as a guy who's going to put it all together very soon. Now the season didn't go so great for him; he had some good points, he had some not so good points. What do you think he needs to do and to, to really turn a corner and be a, be a real force in that rotation?
2: Well, first, this is a good, uh, good spot for me on the record to thank you and Richard Justice and Jesse Sanchez and Fabian Ardaya, who ended up was, was my engine at one point and now works for another company, got a full-time gig in the process for helping out as my herniated disc went from like two days to the entire spring training last year. <laughs> it was wood. my pleasure. Knock on when everything's healthy right now, so let's keep our fingers crossed. But, you know, that's the interesting thing you bring up about Giolito is I think coming out of spring training, people were looking at Giolito not as just a guy in the rotation. They were looking at him as maybe, you know, the the de facto ace of that staff that he was he was that good in spring training. I know I remember watching a game since I couldn't move much off my couch uh, during during spring against the Cubs, where I think he went like six scoreless innings and struck seven or eight in that game. And then for some reason, it just didn't click once the season started. And the biggest reason was his mechanics were off and he was walking people. He led the American League in walks. He was second to uh, Tyler Chatwood of the Cubs overall in free passes and all of baseball. And I think part of that, and he talked to me about that, part of it was kind of mental, you know, where he just, one thing would go wrong, it would kind of snowball and it would just be tough for him to to get out of his own way. But also he adjusted his mechanics by switching the way he kind of long tossed and played catch. And he had a really bad start. He had a great middle of the season that had a horrible September. So you hope that what he picked up in the middle of the season can be applied coming into the season because he's back in the rotation. You know, I just talked to uh, white Sox pitching coach Dan Cooper a couple of days ago. It was his 63rd birthday. So happy birthday to him, but you know, he's, he's ready to go with all these young guys. And he did point out that, you know, Ronaldo Lopez, Lucas G whatever you want to say about them, they just completed their first year of pro ball. And he's used his example a number of times, but he pointed to John Garland who, you know, didn't click right away with the white Sox and eventually became one of the stalwarts in the 2005 World Series championship rotation. So, yeah, I mean, I'm sure you can find many other cases against that, that like guys who didn't start well and just never got there. But what he's saying is that, you know, Lucas Giolito has the talent. Ronaldo Lopez has the talent. They believe in these young guys, so don't judge them all based on just their first full season. So they still have a lot of confidence in Giolito. But Giolito also has to know there are other pitchers on their way. You know, Dylan Cease, Dane Dunning, Jimmy Lambert all coming soon. You know, I'm sure they're going to add some guys through free agency. So he knows what he's got. He knows what his ability is, but he's got to keep it going to to keep that spot in the rotation.
1: Yeah. And if you just the very few times that I talked to him, I mean, he's obviously like a very, very smart guy, very mature. Excellent. Yes, 100%. Together. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, when I was just talking to him, I'm like, well, this is somebody who I think will have the right frame of mind as he, as he is developing. Even if he runs into some roadblocks, he's probably going to be a guy that can figure it out.
2: You know, very uh, dyed kid, too. He comes from a acting family. His, uh, something I, I'm a diehard Seinfeld fan, as many people are. And his grandfather, who sadly has since passed away was Susan's dad on Seinfeld. And
1: <laughs> I did not about know that?
2: that. How about that? Yes. They took the trip to the Hamptons for George's make-believe house at the end of the series there. And his uncle, I believe, created Twin Peaks. And his parents oh, were-, my goodness. were on soap operas and Twin Peaks, and his younger brother is an actor. So he's very polished, very, you know, like you said, a very deep thinker, very smart kid, very well-spoken. And like you said, I think he's going to, the talent is there. There's no question about that. Is just kind of putting it all together and getting all the click for an entire season.
1: Oh man, that's so cool. That's
2: uh, that's. Uh, yeah, that was one of my, one of the first stories I did with him was at Sox Fest, and you could tell he was like, "Yeah, I'm really proud of my family," but he's like, oh, "I can see this is going to be a a common theme throughout the first spring training here in Chicago." So
1: <laughs> that's so cool. Um- uh, so let's conclude our conversation with uh, kind of previewing the, the White Sox lineup. All the MLB.com reporters were asked to forecast, you know, what the lineup would look like if the season started today. Um, it's way early. So this is subject to change, but um, anything stand out to you? We have John Jay, Makata, uh, Abreu, Alonzo, Castillo, Polka, uh, Tim Anderson, uh, Sa- Sanchez, and then Engel in center field. Anything that stands out to you about this?
2: Well, first of all, you know, Angle's defense is gold glove caliber. So that's why I have him out there. You know, his bat has you know, not been great his first, his last two years. Leori Garcia is a guy who I don't have on that starting nine, but could play pretty much anywhere in the infield and the outfield. And then you have to, of course, consider the 600-pound elephant in the room and that, you know, will, Machado, will uh, I'm sorry, Machado sign? Will Bryce Harper sign? I don't think both of them will sign with one team anywhere, let alone the White Sox. But that changed the lineup. And then let's not forget... You know, come April, if not breaking camp, Eloy Jimenez is going to be stationed out in left field. And another guy, Nikki Delmonico is, is a guy who can come that picture. But the biggest thing that stands out to me is Rick kind of already without adding Machado or Harper has kind of balanced out that lineup. They were a little right-handed heavy and adding Yonder Alonzo, who does happen to be Manny Machado's brother-in-law and John Jay, who happens to be a good friend of Manny Machado. So it kind of works in two purposes, you know, helped out for the season, really balanced the yard. And Jay is a great person to have because Yeah, I mean, he's not an all-star. He's a very solid player, and they have a lot of good young outfitters coming, but they're not ready at this point. So they have John Jay for a one-year, $4 million deal, and see what happens. But as you said, this lineup very well could change between now and Sox Fest, which is next weekend for all we know, depending on what happens in the free agency
1: area. So, well, it is uh, never a dull moment with the Chicago White Sox these days, which all of us. So uh, Scott, thank you so much. Thanks to everybody for joining us for MLB Extras, the Chicago White Sox edition, and we will talk to you next time.